Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. Give me a second to get set up. I realize I forgot to do something. That's no shock. So I have a few resources for y'all. If you're interested, I don't have enough for every single person here, but there are some CDs from 20 Schemes Music. And if you don't have a prayer card and you don't pray for us, we want you to because we need a lot of prayer. And so grab you one of these handy dandy little cards here and put it on your fridge or wherever. Remember to pray for us, please. Church in Hard Places is a book that uh, Mez McConnell, who started 20 Schemes, and Mike McKinley, pastors West Virginia, Virginia somewhere. Um, so they wrote this book together. This was kind of like a pivotal in us going to Scotland. Um, so that's good. I know there's several of you already have it, so there's some floating around. But if you don't have a copy, feel free to get one. There's a few up here. And then two copies of this, so you have to share. Uh, I might have more later if it's in high demand. One-to-one Bible reading. So if you're interested in like how to read the Bible, it gives a couple of suggestions in there, a couple of, um, what do you call it, not strategies. Plans. Yeah, there you go. And then like if you want to read the Bible together with somebody, it kind of gives you some framework for that. I, I have read the book. I did find it helpful and whatnot. So those are there. Grab one, share. If you're a Christian, you'll share. So even non-Christian share. But so if you're a believer and you don't share, was that me? That was not me. Good. I just so happened that at the same time that I pushed the button. I'm glad I didn't mess anything up. All right, my friends. So in case you don't know, my name's Logan. And I am a Christian who works for the Lord in Scotland. My family and I live in Glasgow in a housing scheme. And a housing scheme is basically where you'll find government housing, um, people seeking asylum or refugees that's where the government uh, puts them um, there it's they are known by middle-class people as rough areas but let me tell you people are people and you go there and that's the home to a lot of people and that's as simple as that people are people people need the gospel we can call them rough neighborhoods we can call them what we want but they are people who live and breathe right now who need the gospel just like us living and breathing right now this morning need the gospel amen anybody yeah all right good y'all are awake all right so inside your bulletin on the upper right hand you have a handy dandy sermon outline and so we'll be in mark chapter 6 verses 45 through 52 this morning and you'll see there we're looking at shepherdless crowds steadfast son of god slow disciples but you notice that there's three questions. That's just for like further application as you're thinking of how poor the sermon was later. You can reflect back on some questions and try to get something better out of it. 
um, out of the text and whatnot. And so uh, my apologies if you don't like sarcasm, I'm sorry. I'll try to work on it. But um, so yeah, further application questions to help us more apply the text this morning. So there's a, a wee bit of room in there if you want to jot a note or two or as well. So as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking of like how slow the disciples are to like get what Jesus is teaching them. All right, and we'll see that through the text. And I was thinking back to a, um, a job that I had in Evansville. And so back then when people wanted to work, they had a 90-day probationary period that you had to make it through in order to keep your job. And there was a feller who was, uh, who was working there. I'd been on the job for maybe three, four years at that point. And a feller started, and he just wasn't getting it. The poor feller would show up to work every day like nobody wants to today, and he wouldn't you know, show up sober too and all that. And, but we would say, you know, like, here's how you work this machine. You push this button to get it to do this. If you need more material, you find it over here. If you have any questions, ask so-and-so. And the feller just wasn't getting it. And so on day 89 of his 90-day probationary period, they let him go because he wasn't getting it. And I was thinking about the disciples if Jesus employed the disciples and had a 90-day probationary period, would they have made it to day 90 or past? You know what I mean? I don't think that they would, but then, the, you know, also we have to ask our questions. Would we? Would we even make it past the 90-day probationary period? So what we find throughout the Gospel of Mark is a big, bright glowing sign, kind of like at night when you're driving down the road and there's a bar and it has a big glowing sign in it. Mark has one of those signs, but it doesn't say Budweiser. It says, Jesus is the Son of God. So that's the whole thing. If you get anything from the Gospel of Mark, that is what he is trying to communicate to us. Jesus is the Son of God. And Mark, although it is short, it's a short Gospel, uh, it's very direct and very to the point. There are like layers of stuff there that Mark is trying to teach us from the way he lays out the book in narrative form uh, to just like what he packs into like whatever, how many verses we're looking at this morning, uh, 45 through 52. Um, but that is the big, bright, glowing sign we see throughout the gospel according to Mark is that Jesus is the Son of God. Unfortunately, there's a problem throughout the Gospel of Mark, too. It's like nobody's seeing the sign. Nobody's getting it, right? you got the religious leaders. Uh, whenever Jesus tells them who He is or gives a sign or, or He'd speak against them, right? And they should repent. They didn't repent. They became outraged, right? They didn't seek to worship Jesus. They sought to kill Jesus. And we read through the Gospel according to Mark, and we see that the crowds didn't get who Jesus was either, right? They certainly saw His power, but that was the only apparent reason why they followed Him. They wanted free food. They wanted physical healing. They wanted their demons out of their loved ones, and that was that. Very few, if anybody, in the Gospel sought out Jesus for the sole purpose to have their sins forgiven. They missed, they missed the point, right? 
Unfortunately, even Jesus' disciples didn't understand them completely. And these are fellers who were chosen to be with Jesus. That's what the text says. They, they were chosen to be with Him. Day in, day out, being taught by the Son of God Himself, witnessing things that other people didn't witness, being taught in a way other people weren't taught. And what we see is like little bursts of understanding at the best of times, right? They're just slow. They, they ain't getting it. Um, so as we read through this gospel, we're kind of faced with the fact that the truth is that's us a lot of times, isn't it? We're a little slow to get it. If we had a 90-day probationary period, we wouldn't make it. If we had a 90-year probationary period apart from the grace of God, none of us would make it either, right? We are all slow to understand who Jesus really is. You might be thinking this morning, oh, that's not me. I know who Jesus is. I understand Jesus. And you might be thinking that you understand Jesus because you've read the Bible once, twice, multiple times. You might even read it every year. And you think, oh, I understand Jesus. Or you might be thinking you understand who Jesus is because you've been a Christian for a long time. You think that longevity equals wisdom, maturity, and understanding. You might be thinking you understand who Jesus is because you attend church on a regular basis. If we're honest with ourselves, we wouldn't say it, but a lot of us are actually kind of bored with Jesus. So I've titled the sermon, So You Think You Understand Who Jesus Is. And it's meant to be kind of like a little, you know, tongue-in-cheek, slap across the face, a little rebuke, a little cheeky, as we'd call it in Scotland. Um, it, I titled it there for a purpose because I don't believe we think I don't I don't think we understand the fullness of who Jesus is and just so you know I'm not like what do you call it a straw man that you beat and all that stuff right let, let me explain why I say all this because if you're a Christian and a believer here this morning every time that you are amazed at something God does in your life it might just reveal how little you actually understand who Jesus is. It's kind of like opening a door. You don't realize how soundproof it is until it's open <laughs> and it closes back. <laughs> but let's say that God blesses you in a way you don't expect, and you're blown away. You're like, wow, I didn't expect God to do that. Or you experience God's comfort and peace in a trial, and you're surprised by it. Like, what else would you expect? Perhaps you see no way out of a temptation and God intervenes and you're shocked. Maybe even lately you've been praying but you're not really confident God hears or He'll answer. Maybe you're in a state of depression or despair right now and you're not really sure that Jesus is in it with you. Well, in times of blessings, we fail to understand who Jesus is. In times of trials and in temptations, we fail to understand who Jesus is because we do not believe that He will actually bless us or comfort us or be with us or encourage us or deliver us from temptation. In a nutshell, we show that we don't actually understand who Jesus is. And we show it by being surprised when Jesus does in our life what He has promised in His Word He will do. He's promised it. He does it. We're like, wow, that's awesome. He's like, of course it's awesome. It's God. That's what He does. It's showing that we don't understand. 
if you're not a Christian here this morning and you think that Jesus was just a political figure or you believe that Jesus was just a good teacher, you might believe that Jesus was a God but not actually the God, you're showing that you don't actually understand who Jesus is. As we read in God's Word, God tells us who Jesus is. And hopefully as we go through these few verses from the Gospel according to Mark this morning, hopefully we'll get a better understanding of who Jesus is. So we're going to work our way through Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. This is the introduction. I'm trying to give Josh a run for his money, a little competition there, who can have the longest introduction. Um, so I wanted, you, I wanted you to feel at home with me this morning. So I had a very long introduction. Um, but so we're going to be, yeah, there in Mark, and we're going to see the shepherdless crowds in verse 45, the steadfast Son of God, verses 46 through 50, and the slow disciples in verses 51 and 52. What we will see from this passage is this. Jesus is the Son of God who has compassion on the shepherdless crowds and steadfast care for His disciples, though they are slow to understand who He is. That's, that's the passage in a nutshell right there. All right, let's pray, and then we'll look at Mark chapter 6. Lord, thank you for time in your word this morning. Father, I'm humbled that you would use me to, to teach and preach your word. Father, I pray that you'll uh, use me to convey the truth here in your word this morning. Father, that your spirit would work through your word and show us more of yourself this morning, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so I want to share a little bit about Mark chapter 6 to bring us up to our passage. So in verses 7 through 13, we see that Jesus sends out the twelve disciples in pairs and He gives them authority over unclean spirits, that is, over demons. And uh, the disciples went out and proclaimed that people should repent that people should quit sinning and turn to Jesus, right? That was their message. In verses 14 through 29, Mark tells us of King Herod, his self-indulgent, self-centered lifestyle, and how this lifestyle led to the beheading of a man named John the Baptist, who was a prophet. Verses 30 through 44, the disciples returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and all that they had taught. And there were tons of folks around, we see. Like they couldn't even have time to hardly like eat and drink and stuff. There was like tons of folks around. And so Jesus is wanting to take His disciples away to uh, a place where there weren't quite so many folks and uh, maybe have some refreshment, some relaxation, restoration. Um, so they get in a boat and they head off to a remote place. But what happened? Folks saw them. They recognized them. They ran ahead. And there was tons of folks waiting for him whenever they got to the shore. Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus took time for them and taught them many things. 
This led to the feeding of the 5,000, which was actually a lot more than 5,000 because that's just counting men. I know that's going to be controversial today and very um, not political correct, but 5,000 men plus women and children, right? So this is a large group of people. Um, and then we pick up at the end of this feeding the 5,000 in our text this morning, verse 45. So if you're there in Mark chapter 6, if you're not, you're really, really slow because that was a long introduction. <laughs> Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Reading from the extra special version this morning, the ESV. Pretty close to an ASB, and that's all I'm going to say. I'll quit, I'll quit badgering. All right, Mark chapter 6, 45 through 52. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the winds ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened." This is the Word of God. We see first the shepherdless crowds there in verse 45. The crowd spoken of here is like we've already talked about. This is the crowd that, that flocked to Jesus and His disciples as they were trying to go away. That um, led to the feeding of the 5,000. And in verse 34 of chapter 6, Jesus describes the crowds as being like sheep without a shepherd. So this is a shepherdless crowd. And it's this crowd that Jesus dismisses after feeding them. We learn from John chapter 6 that this crowd was wanting to set Jesus up as king, taken by force and do that. So Jesus might be part of the reason why he's dismissing them rather rapidly here. Um, but it wasn't the time or the right reasons or the route that God had ordained for Jesus to be king. And so Jesus sends his disciples away he dismisses the shepherdless crowd, and he goes off by himself to pray. So I kind of gave a rundown of Mark chapter 6 uh, to start out with here because there's, there's something to the flow of Mark chapter 6, and there's something there that Mark wants us to see. And so there's like a little bit of a, a sandwich going on there. So if you've got like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you got bread and on top, the top slice would be verses 7 through 13 where uh, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. Um, Mark picks back up in verse 30 with the disciples coming back to Jesus, giving a report of all that they had done and taught. So that's the bottom part of the sandwich. And then the peanut butter and jelly is the, let me find my notes here, where the bit about Herod and the death of John the Baptist in verses 14 through 29. So a little bit of a sandwich going on there. You got the disciples being sent out, talking about Herod and John the Baptist, the disciples coming back, feeding the 5,000, and then to our text this morning, 
So what in the world is Mark doing here? Why didn't he just like stay with it and keep one flow of thought? Well, I think that he is drawing a comparison between Herod and Jesus. He's showing that unlike Jesus, Herod is not a good shepherd of the people he is over. Right? Herod is a self-centered, self-indulgent feller. He is a crowd pleaser to the point of beheading John the Baptist. Right? We read that's why he beheaded John the Baptist. He didn't want to let down his company. Herod is in his big house enjoying fine food, good company, and being entertained. Jesus and his disciples, on the other hand, don't have a place to call home. Um, they're hard at work, caring for the shepherdless crowds. Um, notice that Jesus and his disciples were seeking rest from their work when the crowd wants more from them, but Jesus doesn't run away from them. He doesn't drive them away. Jesus has compassion on them. Jesus lets them gather. Jesus teaches them truth. He takes time to invest in them. He feeds them. And Mark wants us to see here what Jesus wanted his disciples to see. And that is that Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for shepherdless crowds. Mark wants us to see what Jesus wanted his disciples to see. And that is simply that God gave people bread from heaven under the leadership of Moses back in the Old Testament. But Jesus is the bread of heaven who has come not to give mere bread for the stomachs, but to give true life. Right? Jesus is the Son of God that has come from heaven to not only cleanse lost sinners, but to give them true, real, actual life. Mark wants us to see that Jesus is better than Herod, that Jesus is greater than Moses, that Jesus is the true bread, the bread of life that has come from heaven. So Jesus is showing them something. To us, it's like, oh yeah, feeding the 5,000. Jesus is showing them through the feeding of the 5,000 that He is indeed the Son of God. He cares for the shepherdless crowds. Um, again, they were tired. They were wore out. They were seeking rest. A little peace and quiet. But Jesus did not have a mental breakdown like most of us would have in that case. He had compassion on the crowds. Jesus taught them. Jesus fed them. And through all this, Jesus is showing, again, the bright glowing sign that He is the Son of God. So that's the shepherdless crowds. Um, first point. Second point, steadfast Son of God, verses 46 through 50. If you look there, I'll read them again for the sake of repetition and us seeing what there is to see here. Verse 46, And after He had taken leave of them, He went up on the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and He was alone on the land. And He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw Him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw Him and were terrified. But immediately He spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So notice what Jesus does straight away. He goes up on a mountain to pray. What's He praying about? We don't know, because Mark doesn't tell us. Maybe He's praying for strength. We know that even though He's 
fully God. He's also fully man. We know that later he prays for strength when he's about ready to go to the cross. Um, perhaps he was praying for his disciples. We know that he prayed for them at times. And we know that he intercedes for believers now. Uh, perhaps he was praying just to set an example for us. But we don't know what the content of the prayer was here. Whatever we, he was praying, though, we see repeatedly throughout the Gospels, Jesus wanting to get away and be alone with his Father. So Jesus, Jesus is the steadfast Son of God who we continually find in the presence of his Father. And really, I mean, if you think about it, where else would we expect to find Jesus than seeking time with his Father? And that's what he's doing here. Well, the steadfast Son of God is praying. Notice what we see next in verses 47 through the first part of 48. It says, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And so, yeah, Jesus is by himself. He's praying on a mountain, but he hadn't forgotten about his disciples. Yeah, far from it, right? His eyes are on his disciples. Uh, they are struggling painfully, and Jesus sees that they are struggling. However, he lets them continue to struggle for a few more hours. Notice that it was evening time when Jesus saw them struggling, and he let them struggle painfully till somewhere around the time of 3 to 6 in the morning, which is the fourth watch of the night. So we probably don't have any problems with Jesus like praying and seeing his disciples, right? That's probably pretty comforting. It should be comforting for us believers. But why in the world did Jesus let his disciples struggle painfully for so long without intervening? Right? We might got to have a little bit of problem with that. Here's Jesus. They should have been across the lake an hour, you know, hours ago, right? Under good weather. He sees them struggling painfully, the text says, and he still lets them struggle for a bit longer. We might be thinking, well, if Jesus is a son of God and is therefore all powerful, then why in the world doesn't he do something for his disciples sooner? Why did Jesus let them struggle? And if you're a believer here this morning, you might be wondering, why does Jesus let me struggle? Why doesn't he do something about it? We know. Jesus has the power to relieve all of our difficulties, to ease all of our struggles, and to make life a breeze. He's got the power to do it, so why doesn't He? Simply put, if our life were a breeze, we'd be more of a self-centered brat than we already are. Ease doesn't make us stronger. It makes us weaker. Ease doesn't make us others-focused. It makes us me-focused. Ease doesn't cause us to look to Jesus generally, does it? Ease makes us weak, self-centered little brats who will flee at the first sight of danger and fuss at the first hint of discomfort. Contrary to natural and popular belief, the world does not revolve around you. The world does not revolve around me. The world does not revolve around my problems. God is not obligated to fix my problems. There are purposes higher than me. 
There are purposes higher than my problems. For example, in John chapter 9, we're told of a man who was born blind for this purpose, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Right? You got a, a guy that was born blind and was blind his entire life until Jesus heals him. And we're told the reason he was blind was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And my problems and my difficulties and my struggles aren't about me. They're about make, Jesus making Himself known to me and through me. The disciples struggling painfully against the waves and the wind are about to learn more about who Jesus is than if they had never had any struggles at all. Jesus uses this to reveal to His disciples and to us more of who He is. So if you're getting bored, wake up because it's about to get really good here. There's, this is the part that I love about this passage here. Um, I'm picking back up in verse 48, it says that Jesus meant to pass them by. But when they saw Him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw Him and were terrified. But immediately He spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And so what in the world is this bit about Jesus meaning to pass them by? Right, I find that quite odd. The other Gospels who have this account don't have that in it. So what in the world is Mark trying to teach us here about Jesus? What is Jesus doing? Like, is He just strolling by for fun and then they see Him, so He's called out and He's like, oh, well, I guess i got to help you all now. You know what I mean? Like, what's going on? Well, if you're familiar with Mark, we know that this isn't the first storm that Jesus and His disciples had found themselves in. In Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41, they were crossing the sea. A big storm comes up. The waves are destroying the boat. The waves are coming onto the boat. Jesus is sleeping. They go to wake up Jesus and He calms the storm. And Mark 4, 41 says, They were filled with great fear and said to one another, bah, and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Well, Jesus is now answering this question of theirs in a very real way. He's purposely coming to them to be seen by them to show them yet again in yet another way that He is God. How is He doing that? You're, if I had a little meme, I'd show the meme of like your head exploding right now, you know, because this, this is going to blow your mind. Jesus is using the same language that is used in the conversation between God and Moses back in the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. He's going all the way back to the second book of the Bible. In Exodus chapter 33, 18 through 23, Moses said to God, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. 
You, you see the connection between Mark 6 and Exodus 33. You see what Jesus is doing here. He's not being rude in passing His disciples by on the sea. Jesus is passing by and proclaiming His name just as God did with Moses on the rock. When Jesus was passing them by and they saw Him, He spoke to them, and what did He say? Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Translated literally, you ready for this? Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. This is from another conversation between God and Moses back in Exodus chapter 3. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You see what's happening here. Jesus comes to them walking on the sea, as Job chapter 9, verse 8 says, only God can do. Jesus is passing them by as God had done with Moses. And Jesus is proclaiming his name as God had done with Moses. So Jesus is showing his disciples and telling his disciples that he is the Son of God who is himself equal with God. A big, fat, glowing sign that they should not have missed that says Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is steadfast with His disciples, showing them many times and in many ways that He is the Son of God. Jesus is patient with them. When any other man would have lost patience and thrown in the towel and be like, all right, lads, just come on back next week and I guess we'll give her another shot and see if we can't accomplish something. No, that's not Jesus. Jesus is patient with them. He's steadfast, showing them who He is. So we've seen the shepherdless crowds that pointed us to the steadfast Son of God. And now we move on to our last point where we see the disciples' response to all that happened. And let me warn you that it's very anticlimactic and somewhat disappointing. The, the, the name of the third point is slow disciples, right? Verses 51 and 52. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So we're probably not surprised that they were amazed, right? I mean, like if you're out on a boat at sea, and you're like struggling because of the wind and the waves, and you see Jesus walking on the water, I'm pretty sure you'd be amazed too, right? I'd be amazed. I'd be like, holy cow, that's crazy. But they had just seen like the feeding of the 5,000, remember? <laughs> right? And what does, what does Mark say? It's not... It, it, it's the reason why they're astounded. And why does it say that they're amazed and astounded? Notice in verse 52, because they did not understand about the loaves. Right? Apparently they were supposed to learn something about the loaves. And if they had learned something about the loaves, instead of being like having their mind blown and be like, whoa, Jesus, that's awesome. Right? They would have been like, of course that's Jesus walking on the water. I mean, He's the Son of God. I mean, He's God Himself. He's, of course He's walking on the water. Where else would He be? You know what I mean? And when He gets in the boat and the winds cease, they'd be like, of course the winds quit. I mean, God Himself is here in the boat with us, right? But they're amazed because they don't fully understand who Jesus is. 
they're a bit on the slow side. They aren't quite getting it. They're supposed to learn something. Jesus was showing them something. They were meant to understand. They're like a five-year-old hearing a dad joke. I just don't get it. <laughs> and that, my friends, is the beauty of whenever your son gets to about eight or nine years old and he starts to get the dad jokes, and it's just meal times are so much more better. <laughs> but they just weren't getting it, right? It was, and we might be thinking like how slow and pathetic these disciples were. But if we're honest, that's us, isn't it? We're just like them. I could call pretty much any believer here this morning up here to tell of a time whenever God did something in your life and you were amazed by it. You were blown away by it. And so, um, don't get me wrong, it's not that we are never amazed for the right reason from a soul that knows Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that too often we're amazed when God works in our life because we don't really fully understand how good, how kind, how compassionate, how loving, how patient, how comforting, how powerful, how mighty, how sovereign, or how promise-keeping God is. Many times we're just like the disciples. We're amazed because we're a bit slow at getting what God's trying to teach us. So it's been about a year and a half since I've seen you all. Some of you all I ain't never seen before. But a lot has happened in the last year and a half, hasn't it? Uh, so as we look back I need a switch I need an emotion switch alright wasn't expecting that um, so over the last year and a half there's been times of rejoicing and celebration there have been all right, I'm going to pause for a minute. So I'm going to get a drink. I'll compose myself and we'll continue on. Sorry. All right, let's give it another shot. So there's been times of rejoicing and celebration. There's been times of sickness and death. There's been times of despair and depression. There have been struggles and challenges, and there's been disappointments, has there not? But let me ask you, were you surprised at the goodness of God in your rejoicing and celebration? Were you surprised when God gave you a comfort and peace that you can't really explain as you were in the hospital or you stood by the graveside of a loved one? Christian, were you surprised when God sent you some encouragement in your despair and in your depression? Are you even sitting here this morning wondering where is God? Wondering if He hears you? Wondering if he'll be there for you. Are we still so slow to understand? Many times we're just like the slow disciples. And there is a rebuke to be had here in this, I think. I was rebuked myself as I was reading this and thinking back of things that I probably should have learned a long time ago. And then realizing that I'm probably blind to things that I should have already been learned that God is still like trying to show me every day. Um, so there is some form of a rebuke to be had there. Um, but I, I don't want to end there. I want to conclude by looking back again to the steadfast Son of God 
And I want you to, I want you to see something there in the passage. Um, so we're going to look again at Mark chapter 6, verses 47 through 51. And notice the activity of Jesus in relation to the disciples as I read this, okay? And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and, he cried, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. So did you pick up on some of the activity of Jesus there as it relates to his disciples? Jesus saw his disciples as they struggled painfully. Jesus came to his disciples in their struggles. Jesus spoke to them in their struggles. And Jesus got into the boat with them in their struggles. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you're a believer, those are kind of loose terms these days, so let me kind of define what I mean by a Christian and a believer. If you are a Christian, meaning if you have believed that Jesus died in your place for your sins on the cross, having turned from your sin and you're living for Jesus, there's great encouragement for you here uh, from this passage. Jesus has his eyes on his disciples in their struggle, and we can be confident that he has his eye on us in our struggles. Jesus came to them in their struggles, and we can be confident he will come to us in ours. If you think about it, Jesus could have crossed the sea at any other point. He could have gotten to the other side by way of land. He could have miraculously like, transported himself from one side to the other. But where do we find him? We find Jesus crossing the sea exactly where the disciples are, showing him more of who he is. We find him going to his disciples in the midst of their struggles. The wind and the waves that are causing the disciples such a painful struggle aren't even a match for Jesus. Jesus comes to them, Jesus speaks to them, and Jesus gets into the boat with them. And through all this, Jesus reveals more about Himself to them. If you're a Christian here this morning, you should be encouraged by these things. But if you're not a Christian, if you do not believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins on the cross, if you're living for your sin and loving it, instead of living for Jesus, you need to know that there's no hope for you in this passage. There's no encouragement for you in this passage. There's nothing there for you right now whenever you stand before God. Your sins are, are not on Jesus. Your sins are on you. The good news, that's what the Gospel means, good news, the good news is it doesn't have to be like that. Jesus says in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, 
and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You don't ever have to worry about Jesus being like an aggravated dad who doesn't want to be interrupted when he's about his work. Jesus will accept anyone who comes to him. Do you want to go to Jesus? Go to Jesus. He ain't going to turn you away. It says so in his word right here. A few sentences later from John chapter 6 and verse 40. He says, For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. These are the promises of God in His Word. You may not have hope here this morning, but you don't have to leave without hope. Come to Jesus. Look on Him. Believe in Him. And He will raise you up on that last day. You'll have better life now. Certainly greater life hereafter. May God work in our hearts and our minds through His Word this morning. Let us pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what You've shown us about Yourself here in Mark chapter 6. Thank You for what we've seen and what we've learned about Jesus. And Father, I pray that You'll Help us as we are often like the disciples and slow to understand and slow to, slow to grow in our faith, slow to learn what we ought to learn. And Father, may we have eyes to, to see. Father, I pray that you open the eyes of our understanding. Help us to see more of your glory. Help us to understand more of who you are. Father, you are holy. You are gracious, you are kind, you are merciful. My Father, you are far above us. Father, we are sinful. We need you. We thank you and we praise you for Jesus, for living a perfect life, showing us time and time again that he is the Son of God and that he is equal with you. And we see that he went to the cross to pay for the sins of all who will believe. So, Father, I pray that You'll help us to respond appropriately. And, Father, that Your hand would be on us, that You'd lead us and You'd guide us and draw us to Yourself. In Christ's name, Amen. That's that this morning. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND. Or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.